We'll get into that. Verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So stop right there and you realize, oh, okay, this is a sober, serious warning that he's about to give these people. This is pretty heavy duty, so let's pay attention to what he says. So your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have, been, uh, have God's approval. When you come together, and now he's talking about something specific here, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And now he reminds them again, backs them up to the purpose of what it is they are actually gathering for, because apparently they've forgotten that. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, now he's going to transition back to some instruction. Now that you remember the purpose and what this is all about, take note of these things. First of all, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have even fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, you ready for this big glorious instruction? Wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So think about what's happening here and the nature of his warning to these dear people in Corinth. So this gathering for communion, that's what their gathering was supposed to be, right? A remembering the death of Jesus Christ together. That was the purpose of this and somehow it had turned into something very, very different, right? It was this self-focused, self-centered party of sorts um, that was actually doing more damage than it was building them up in Jesus. Well, that's a serious problem, right? And, and the question I asked when I first read this was, how does that even happen? How do these people that are supposed to be gathering to be focused on Jesus get so selfish 
that they're ignoring one another. Some people are getting drunk and they're gorging on food while other people go hungry. How in the world does it devolve into that when the original purpose was to be there to remember and celebrate Jesus? You know, at first glance, it seems a little hard to believe that it could be something so twisted and perverse like that. But actually, when you, when you back up and think about it, it's not all that hard to see how things can get there. And the reason why is when you see the deeper issue, there's a, a root of sin that grows really deep and wide in our lives and has a powerful impact on us, and it's called selfish pride. When you think about what's really happening in these people's hearts, it was that they had turned inward in a prideful way and really just made themselves the most important thing. And when you think about it that way and how easy it is for that to happen in our lives, it makes a lot more sense how something that was supposed to be so glorious and precious could devolve into something so harmful, hurtful, and really distracting and devastating to Jesus and his church. Now, let me give you an image to think about this because when we think of our selfish pride, I think we acknowledge that it's there, but sometimes it's hard to see the power of it. Sometimes it's hard for me to see the extent of it in my own life, my selfish pride. And so one picture that might come to mind, one of many, is um, think of the idea of gravity, right? So our self-focus at the core of our sin nature is kind of like the, the gravitational pull that's produced from the heart of our planet, right? We live on this large planet called Earth, and what happens is at the core of this Earth, there's a gravitational pull that keeps everything bound to the Earth, right? And on some level, that's a good thing. So the fact that we're able to stay here on Earth and not just start floating off into outer space, good idea, right? I'm glad that happens. But think about the power of that attractional force. You know, the closer you get to the center of the Earth, the more power that force has, But even objects that are far away, like our moon, our moon is 239,000 miles away from the earth, but even the moon stays in orbit around the earth because of the gravitational pull that it possesses. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And then you think of something like the sun, right? Our entire galaxy is, our solar system, I should say, is, is spinning around the sun because of its gravitational pull so that a planet like Neptune, 2.8 billion miles away from the sun, stays in orbit around the sun because of its gravitational pull. That, that's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? But there's real power there in that gravity, isn't there? It keeps things bound to another object. In a lot of ways, our sin nature and our selfish pride can function that way. So think about this, the self-orientation of sin is a constant pull on your life. But we do have something far greater in Jesus, the Son, who also is drawing us in, and he's using his awesome, attractional work to move us away from self and toward him. So just as sin has a gravitational pull on your life, 
Jesus also does. If you're a follower of Christ, he is pulling you into himself. So that is good news, isn't it? Now, if you think about that for a second, you realize, oh, so there are two powerful forces pulling on me all the time. Yeah, isn't that kind of what life feels like? Sin pulling on you and Jesus pulling on you at the same time so you feel like you're being stretched and pulled apart every day. Yeah, that's kind of what life is, right? That's, that's what makes it hard. That's what sometimes makes it discouraging. Uh, but I want you to think about this because, um, you know, the, the gravity of sin is something to be monitored recognized, looked after. It doesn't have arms and pulling you in. Sometimes it's hard to recognize. And so I want us to think about that, and I want us to think about it in terms of the pull of Jesus Christ on your life. Because the goal is not necessarily defy the gravity of sin. It's not the goal of what the journey is. The journey is actually give in to the pull of Jesus Let his stronger pull draw you in. Let that happen. Okay, In that sense, you will get out of the orbit of sin uh, as he intends. So here's the warning of this passage. You need to recognize how much your selfish pride can pull you in. And one of the most obvious signs that you've forgotten the purpose of Christ in your life is that you have forgotten or ignored or maybe minimized the value and the importance of other people, particularly the other people of God in your life that you desperately need because 1 Corinthians is talking about the importance of the whole body, right? And by forgetfulness, I'm not talking about it's just slips out of your mind because you're absent-minded like me. I forget a lot of details. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the way that I can subtly put me at the center of my life. It happens in ways that I don't always see, but it does happen very easily. It's making me important and exalting myself above Jesus and others, which is actually despising and humiliating Jesus and other people. That's what he says here in the passage. It's not offering the sacrificial life of Christ to them the way he offered it to us. So let's stop there and talk about that subtlety for a second and how that might work in our lives. Because I imagine, I don't know, I imagine that these people aren't intentionally saying, you know what, I just don't care about these other people. So I'm going to make sure that they're not a part of our gathering. I want to make sure we do things before they get here. I don't think they're thinking that. Maybe, maybe they were. My guess is that it kind of just devolved from selfishness. So it started by these people gathering in a wealthy person's home. That's probably what this looked like. They gathered in homes, and a home big enough to hold a bunch of people was probably somebody wealthy. And in that home, there were several rooms, and maybe they divided by class of people or status, because that's often what people did. And you know, well, here we are in our room, and hey, we've got our people. I've got my crew, so let's just do our thing. You see how that can happen, how subtle that is, where I've, I've got my people, and we're doing our thing, and we're not really being mindful of everybody else. Yeah, yeah, that's not so hard to imagine, is it, actually? Now, 
if it can subtly happen to them and turn into something despicable and gross, well, how does that work in my life then? What subtle things can take me from remembering Jesus and functioning well in him with other people to doing something that's despising and shameful to other people? Well, (laughs) there's nothing that, I don't know about you, and I imagine this may be true for most of you, but there's nothing like marriage to really expose just how selfish you really are. Can I get an amen on that? (laughs) No, but seriously, you know, before I got married, I thought I was a pretty unselfish person. And then I got slapped across the face because then I woke up and realized just how selfish I really am. And then kids is another story. We'll talk about that later. Um, I'll tell you one thing that really exposed selfishness in me. That was moving to another country and living in another culture and kind of examining and looking at other people around me. So, for example, moving to the Bahamas and seeing people and the way that they just live their life differently than me. Um, This is to my shame, but I had this sense of, these people seem kind of incompetent. I mean, look at the way they work. They stand around a lot more than they actually do something, it seems like, and these people, whether they're government officials or bosses, I mean, they're just nowhere to be found. What's actually happening here? There's no productivity going. If they only did this and that, and if only people were like me in this way, guess how it could work? Yeah, you get what I'm saying. (laughs) I had all these grand ideas of if people were just more like me, this whole country would function a lot better. Now, of course, I didn't say that, but in reality, all of these different ways that I was looking at people was just building this case for how good I am and how effective I am and how smart I am and how I've got it together. It happens a lot more subtly than that, but that's actually what that was producing in me, right? This sense of just, I'm better. I've got it together, and these people don't. Man, that was humbling when the Lord began to point that out in my life to see just how prideful I really am. You know, (laughs) the other thing I would like to bring up about that is um, I remember before we moved to the Bahamas, living in the States and not really being a wealthy person, but looking at other wealthy Americans and looking at the things they had for themselves and how nice they were and thinking, that's kind of disturbing. All these upper middle class Christians that they have all these things to give and yet they just buy stuff for themselves. Man, that's pitiful. I wish people would wake up and you know, I just kind of got on my high horse about that, my soapbox. And then I moved to the Bahamas and lo and behold, I'm one of the wealthy white people. And I'm realizing how many of my resources are spent on me and not being given to other people in need. And man, did the Lord just, I I don't know how to describe that. I mean, my feet came out from under me. I felt like I was on my back in humility, realizing what it is I do and how selfish I can be with my own resources. But you get the point. There was areas of pride in my life that the Lord had to unearth that I lived for a while without seeing at all and yet they were right there 
So it's so important, so important to be looking within through the eyes of Jesus to see what's going on in my heart because that selfish pride is always pulling me in. And in a lot of ways, I'm not seeing it. But through his mercy and through some pain, he will reveal that to us, won't he? Because that's what he does when he's drawing us into his orbit, when he's drawing us into his world, we see things a little more clearly, don't we? So again, there's lots of ways in which our pride can get a hold of us, isn't it? And my goal this morning is not to give you those illustrations for you to say, okay, now you need to go find every area in your life in which you're prideful and fix it. That's not the point here. The point is, the way in which all of those many ways of pride happen in your life and how you're going to deal with them is for you to simply only fix your eyes on Jesus, see him clearly, make him what matters most, all that matters in your life. And as he's pulling you into him, he'll be faithful to unearth and open your eyes to all of these other issues, won't he? But that's the power of the gravitational pull of Jesus. And my encouragement to you is to give in to that this morning. And so that takes us a little bit to the purpose that he points out about communion in this passage. If you read those words in verse 23 through 26, he says, here's the bread, my body, it's to remember me. Here's the cup, this new covenant, so that you remember me. The purpose, one of the primary purposes of this communion is to remember Jesus not because you're going to forget Jesus, but remember in the sense of to recall, to meditate, to bring to the forefront of your mind as that which occupies your thoughts. How important is it to remember Jesus all of the time? Communion is just one of those ways, but it really is an important way to put him at the forefront, right? to remember and consider his death for us, his ultimate giving up of himself for us, how much that needs to fill our minds, how much that needs to inhabit and overwhelm our, our longings and our desires. And think about how that works in your life. Think about how much something, whatever it is that's at the forefront of your mind, kind of dictates and determines what's going on in your day. So for example, Let's say you wake up tomorrow morning, and at the forefront of your mind is, I'm so sick of these selfish, ignorant people at work. I would just like to fix them. If that's what's on the forefront of your mind, what's going to happen when you actually show up at work? Something. <laughs> it's probably not going to be good, but you get what I'm saying. Whereas... What if you wake up tomorrow morning and at the forefront of your mind is, oh, goodness gracious, I really don't want to go into that place today. But I wonder if Jesus has some kind of work to do through me, through the way I live, through the attitude I have, through the words I speak. I wonder if Jesus is going to do something with me today. I bet he is. So I'm just going to imagine that he is and go to work with that mindset. You get what I'm saying, right? What's at the forefront of your mind is going to have an overwhelmingly powerful impact on what actually happens in your day. And so in that sense, remembering Jesus, having him at the forefront of our mind in our worship, in our family, and everything that's going on, that, it's hard to put words on how important that really is, isn't it? So remember 
This passage in particular says, remember his body. Think about the body of Jesus. It wasn't just put on a cross. It was. It was nailed to a cross. But this passage doesn't say it was nailed to a cross. It said it was given for you. Isn't that beautiful? So when you take this little piece of bread today and you put it in your mouth, the symbolism is that that body that was put on a cross, that body was given for you. And now you're taking that body and you're putting it inside of you and you're partaking of it and it's becoming one with you. Yeah, you get the symbolism there, don't you? How powerful is that? Remember his body broken for you on a cross but for you, he's with you, he's in you, and you're with him. That's what that demonstration is, the bread that you consume. It's Jesus. How beautiful. And his blood, it's a symbol of a covenant. That's what he said, this cup is a symbol of, there's a covenant here with us. And I think that would have resonated with them, and I know it resonates with us, but I think that would have resonated for a people rescued out of an idolatry, a society filled with idolatry, because, you know, all the other gods they worshipped, you know, you didn't really know where you stood with that God. You definitely didn't have a relationship with that God. You know, hopefully we'll appease the God enough that he'll be happy with us and not mad, because we don't know what he's going to do if he's mad. That, that's the kind of relationship they might have had with God before Jesus. But now with Jesus, there's a new covenant. A covenant means a committed relationship. And when the blood was sprinkled on the parties in a covenant, that covenant was sealed. It was firm. This relationship was going to stand the test of time. And it was going to stand until he comes back. Do you know that? When you're drinking this cup right here, you're remembering the blood of Jesus who has brought you into a covenant. A covenant that can't be eradicated by anyone but him, and he's not going to do that. So that we live in this covenant, and one day he brings us, he brings us home so that we can actually dine with him at the banquet table. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Corinthians were defiling this banquet, making it something else, but Jesus is going to fulfill it so that this is just a shadow of things to come, a beautiful picture, but not all that's waiting for us. What a glorious and beautiful thing. Remember him is the purpose. And there's one more thing there. Look at verse 26. Whenever you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're reveling in this together, isn't it? We're, we're sharing with one another that, hey, we're underneath the body and the blood of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That is the thing that matters to us most. That's the thing that's keeping us, all of us in this room together, the body and the blood of Jesus. So if that's true, and that's the purpose, and that's what's actually happening here when we do this, then he warns them. He says, therefore, two things, examine yourself and wait for one another. By examining yourself, I think he's instructing them to look at yourself and see that Jesus and other people matter more than you. Right? Sometimes I think we take that, that, that instruction to examine yourself to mean, 
oh, I got to hurry up and confess all of my sins before I take communion or I'm going to be under judgment. Well, yeah, confess your sins. Always be doing that. But I think that's missing the precision of the warning here. The precision of the warning is look at yourself to see if you've put yourself at the center or not. If you're exalting yourself, if you're the most important thing here, then you're missing it. You're missing the point of this, so don't even do it. But if in your heart you do want Jesus and other people to be placed above yourself, to matter more, now you're ready to do this. Now you're really prepared. That's where you need to be. That's the examination that needs to happen. And I love this, how simple the instruction is to wait for one another. That's not some particularly amazing display of service and love to other people, right? It, it almost just kind of feels like common sense. Yeah, if you're supposed to be doing this together, then do it together. Wait for each other. And isn't that a beautiful thing to know? That in a lot of ways, just the simple things that we do to acknowledge one another, to love on one another, those things matter. Those simple things that show people that you're more important than me, that matters, that has an impact on our body. So yeah, keep doing spectacular things for service, that's great. But really, more than anything, keep doing the little things that remind you and other people that you're not at the center, that Jesus is. So, this time for worship, it's not for me, it's for us. It's for us to look at Jesus and marvel at him, isn't it? And tomorrow, whether you, uh, you're going into work and you're dealing with seemingly incompetent bosses and coworkers or children that don't listen to you or whatever it is that's happening in your day tomorrow, remember that it's really about dying to self, not living for self, isn't it? Dying to self and giving yourself to others, whether they love you back or not. And this week, it's not just about my schedule. It's not about my projects. It's not even just about my family. It's about being with all of you in the forward movement of Jesus Christ in the life of other people. That's huge. So, listen. We're loving Christ and his body. And our goal is to be with one another, live with one another, communion with one another, mission with one another. You get the point, right? Because the gravitational pull of Jesus isn't just pulling us to himself. It's actually keeping all of us together, pulling us into him and keeping us in orbit around Christ together. And so because of that, that's what we're going to do right now. Our communion is going to be done together. We're going to be standing up and walking together. And together we're going to be underneath the cross of Jesus Christ, taking of the elements together. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask the elders and the prayer team who are going to be in the back and ready for you to pray with, would you guys go ahead and go to the back of the room? There's one thing I want to say before we enter into this time of communion. That's that there may be a few of you that literally are physically incapable of coming forward. 
If that's the case, at the end of communion time, Bill and I will walk down the aisles and serve you. Otherwise, I trust if you're physically able that you will go ahead and participate if that's what the Lord wants you to do. And otherwise, if not, then just stay at your seat and enjoy time with the Lord. But let's do this communion being mindful of one another. Lord Jesus, we trust that you'll direct our minds at this time, that it will not be too distracting, but that we will be able to see your glory through the noise and through the movement that's going on, and that we will be able to see your glory with the other people in this room, being mindful of them as we look to you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Bill and I will be standing up here in front with the elements. And right now, we're going to call on the worship team and those in the back of the sanctuary. They will start the communion. And as they come forward to take of communion, at any point in time, you can follow their lead.
you stand with me? Listen to these words from Paul in 1 Timothy. Here is a trustworthy worthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing and celebrate this wondrous mystery together.
God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. Sorry, isn't it a wonderful thing to behold Jesus? Lord Jesus, thank you for letting us see you this morning. And all of your greatness, thank you for giving us life with you and life with one another. And I pray that you would help us to live in the fullest that way this week. We praise things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.